thrilled to be having a conversation with Zelvinus Zelenus, and he is the president of the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, Zelvinus, how did I do on your name? Is that even close? That's pretty good, but everyone calls me Z now. Okay, I'm going to call you Z as well then. I'm going (laughs) to consider you my friend. So, Z, you are the president for the Foundation for Economic Education. Would you explain to folks what that is and what you do and how they can get more information about foundation it's called fee as well so i can call you z and i can call the foundation for economic education (laughs) fee (laughs) that's right uh well we are the oldest uh, foundation of that sort of the oldest private think tank in the united states in fact we were established in 1946 and the idea behind the organization is to make sure that young people grow up uh with a being exposed to ideas of freedom being exposed to ideas of liberty or to put it simply, that a new generation grows up uh, knowing that, uh, well, socialism is not the answer. That is exactly what we do. And if you want to find out more about what we do, go to fee.org, fee like F-E-E or Foxtrot Echo, echo.org, and you're going to find everything we do there. Well, you have your work cut out for you right now. We've got these young socialists as some of them have been elected to Congress, that are truly romancing socialism. I typically open our program with saying that socialism is ultimately force. And the questions on the table as we look at each of these issues is freedom versus force or force versus freedom. But you have personal experience with socialism, right, Z? That's right. I was born in 81. Uh, lived all of my life in Lithuania, which was well occupied by Soviet Union, so we were a part of Soviet Union. So uh, for about 10 years, I, I personally experienced the biggest or the truest or the most socialism uh, that has ever been. Of course, the, the young socialists will always deny that Soviet Union was, has not been socialist, but that's, I mean, that's getting silly. So socialism, I mean, if, if you can make a moral argument that it's wrong, it's forceful, it's imposing people, or you can make even an utilitarian argument that it doesn't work. I mean, any way you cut it, any way you look at it, it's such a failed policy. I, I find it absolutely stupefying that there are young people, well, some smart people in the United States who say socialism is the answer. That is completely nuts. Well, and one other thing, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and uh, I said, did you realize that Nazi stands for National Socialist German Workers' Party? And so ultimately, socialism comes down to force because if people don't do what the, uh, the elites or the leaders uh, want them to do, ultimately they res- result or they um, move to force. But let's talk a little bit about the Democrat debates. Now, Z, I, I, I tried to watch them, but I just couldn't. <laughs> but what's your, comment, <laughs> what's your comments about them? Yeah, pretty much the same, I would say. It takes, you know, it takes a lot of discipline of not throwing things at, at the TV <laughs> uh, to, to, to be able to watch them. And once again, there are some, let's say, moderate folks, and there are some very radical folks. So my idea, I think, is that definitely you can see ideology trumping uh, pragmatism. Let's talk about Medicare or, or um, health insurance. That was a big topic. I mean, and the most radical, the most radical solution is pretty much either having government provide a public option or even government uh, banning private insurance. And then you can see people argue for those points. I think, I mean, I'm an economist. So what it, w- w- the impression I get is that, once again, there are met, m- many less 
uh, radical and many more moderate uh, options that would pr- pretty much achieve the same thing. But the, some, for some reason, uh, the radical wing of the, of the current debate think that it's an absolute necessity to have as much government as health in healthcare as possible, and they don't even provide any justification for that. They just sort of jump on their high horse and tell everyone that they're wrong. And I'm actually very much surprised how little uh, well, the other Democrats or the moderate Democrats are doing uh, to take them off that horse. Well, and you know what I think that happens in these arguments is people, uh, <clears throat> well, I think that as they make the, the case for socialism, they uh, are actually using fear because I think inside people say, oh, my gosh, what if I got cancer? What if I had, you know, this this catastrophic medical event as expensive as medical care is in America today? I would be I'd go bankrupt. And so, gosh, I need would need some help on that. And so the socialists answer to that, they say that we'll be there to help you. Now, ultimately, you know, when you get right down to it, that won't happen. But but they say we will be there. We'll make sure that you're taken care of. And that really plays to people's fears. How would you respond to that, Z? Well, of course, <clears throat> socialism is just public relations. There is no there is no content in socialism. It's all playing to people's fears or playing to people's hopes. And once again, that's uh, someone, well, adults in the room have to have to stand up and say, well, the guys, what guys, what you are proposing doesn't work. Uh, for for example, I mean, uh, we can take a very very extreme example: healthcare and socialism. So, for uh, I think it was in '86 and '87, Romania was was again back back then was a truly socialist country. Uh, obviously, had healthcare. Or, or nationalized healthcare, they passed out a law that if you are over, I think, 70, uh, the ambulance would not come to you because it's too much of a drain on resources. So this is the kind of things we're talking here. Uh, even in modern days, uh, what socialists are saying that you know, nationalized healthcare system will cure anything, that is absolutely not true. Look at many European countries that have, uh, let's say, um, uh, you have to pay a lot of tax. Uh, to get uh, nationalized health care, they don't cure everything. They have cold payments. They don't cover every medicine that you need. So once again, they're selling this, uh, well, falsehood that that uh, socialized uh, medical care doesn't cost anything and cures everything. That is simply not true. It costs a lot, and it also has gaps in coverage. It has gaps what kind of medicine it covers. It even has sort of... Um, points, then they don't cover certain diseases because they're too rare for the healthcare system to handle. So once again, so basically they're selling the bunch of untruths. And once again, I'm sort of horrified that no one stands up to them and say, guys, you are wrong. Or guys, have you calculated that? Okay. On the other side, though, there has to be a better idea. And it can't just be standing up and saying, hey, we want free a free market healthcare system. Because a lot of people say, what does that mean exactly? And I do not think that the better idea has made it has done a good job in messaging what that better idea really is. And so, Z, let's go to break. When we come back, I'd like to have have something, something concrete. What is it that we can say to people that, OK, this over here is a, just a public relations campaign. It's not true. But what is that better idea that uh, really can start to allevi- alleviate these fears that people have 
regarding the high cost of health care. So this is Kim Munson. We are talking with Zilvinus Salinas. He is the president of the Foundation for Economic Education. Stay tuned because I can't wait to hear his answer to this question. We are thrilled to be having a conversation with Z from Fee. <laughs> How was that, Z? That <laughs> almost rhymes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. And again, what is your website for people? Fee.org. Okay. And uh, basically, you're the, the oldest think tank, which talks about... Um, you know, free market principles, and you're doing great work. You've got your work cut out for you right now because the veil is off finally in America. We can see there's there's clear, uh, clear contrast in these ideologies. And so I'm so thankful that you guys are there working to uh, educate young people about free markets and then actually what socialism is. So before we went to break, I posed this question uh, because I think many times – um, when people are looking at socialism or, you know, like socialized health care, government-run health care, they look at the high cost of health care and they think, oh, my gosh, if something catastrophic happens, you know, I don't have enough money to pay for all that. And then you've got the public relations socialist over here saying, well, no problem. We'll take care of that. And, uh, and in essence, it's not true. It doesn't work. But we have to be able to articulate the better idea. What is the better idea, Z? Well, I think let's put things in the perspective. Uh, well, free free healthcare is not free. I mean, that is the first the first sort of axiom or rule that everyone should realize. The point of healthcare, healthcare, like you mentioned, is something catastrophic happens. Now, these things don't happen very often to one person, so therefore people take out insurance. And, uh, that's the same happens. Same principle that applies to your car. What if you have an accident? Well, that's uh, and the uh, accident in which, you wreck your, in which you wreck your car. That's a lot of expenses. How do you protect against that? Well, you don't ban cars. Uh, you don't force people into cars that don't have accidents. You, you buy insurance. <laughs> so healthcare is pretty much the same. Uh, the question is, well, who is better at providing insurance? Is it is it private sector or is it the government? So that's that's sort of that's the that's a values question. Now, if we want to talk numbers, and many people don't realize. Uh, just how much more taxes people in Europe pay. And I mean, I'm from there, uh, I have that experience. So let me give you sort of two numbers to compare. Okay. So imagine imagine you work in the United States and uh, you cost to your employer, employer, uh, a, a hundred thousand. Now you, in the United States, after deducting, after taxes are deducted from your payroll and after you subtract the sales tax, because once again, if you earn money, you want to spend it and you pay the sales tax. Uh, so if you cost $100,000 to your employer, your sort of net income is 60000 So you pay 40000 in tax. Now, if we take Sweden at the same income level, you cost $100,000 to your employer. After deducting uh, payroll tax and uh, sales tax, you take home $39,000. So in fact, uh, what, we're having, what we're having here is that... Uh, uh, an average Swede pays nearly kind of uh, $20,000 more uh, in their taxes. So what Americans have, they have extra $20,000 in which uh, to buy health insurance and other things. Or even to put it differently, if you were transported into Sweden right now as an American, uh, your tax bill would go up uh, by about $20,000. So that is, that is the magnitude of, of expense 
we're talking here. It's not just a couple extra dollars. It's not a couple of extra percent. That's a substantial increase in how much tax you have to pay and how much less income you take home and how much less choice you have. So I think that's the first sort of perspective uh, to think about. Okay. Uh, the second one is, if we're returning to democratic debates, I see two major differences in position. So the, the more, more moderate position, and the one one could argue for, is what, saying, well, if private insurance is too bad or doesn't work good enough, we're going to establish a public insurance and show people how it's done, kind of uh, having a... a, a, a a, a public insurer playing by the symbols as private insurer and just being better at business. Now, whether that is possible, I doubt it, but that would be an honest, uh, an, an honest position of someone coming from a government who thinks that government can do a better job than, uh, than business. Let, let, let me just jump in here. Uh, that means that the people that are running uh, the motor vehicle department, uh, the post office, and there's fine individuals at each of these, but I'm talking about how they are run, and that is the motor uh-huh. vehicle department, the post office, uh, transportation here in Colorado. Now, just think about it. Those would be the same types of um, people that would be running your health care, and how's that working out for you? I just had to make that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can add another one. Uh, so in the university in the United States, what I studied I found out that uh, we had uh, like a, a university provided uh, uh, health, uh, not not health, but a meal plan. So basically, we had a large cafeteria, and I found out that in there, because it's very youth, uh the head chef was the, per- the was not the person who cooks best, but who has been in the union for longest. Uh-huh. So when I, then again, uh, this is a kind of, yeah, this is a kind of example. Do you, these people running your healthcare or healthcare or health insurance as well? So, which brings me to another point, which I think is the reason why some are pushing for the for the radical solution to actually ban private insurance. I mean, that's the, that's the radical solution has been proposed a couple of times, and the reason I think they're doing it is they know that a government insurance, if it were to compete on the same terms as private insurance, would simply fail. And they know that, they anticipate that, and they, say, they said, you know what, let's make a government insurance the only option, let's ban everyone else, and let's get rid of competition, and then after that, uh, basically, you are stuck with, with uh, government healthcare plan, you don't have choice, you don't even have to compare anything to it, you, you cannot even have a reference, am I getting a good service? Uh, because there's no com- there's no comparison, there's no competition. So that's, I think, really is the, the, the wrong option. Okay. So we've talked about these, and and this is a very compelling case. But what about somebody who is is poor, and um, you know they're concerned about uh, accessing health care? What what can we do about that? Uh, I would say once again, let's make distinction. Let's make a couple of distinctions here. Uh, So if we're talking about people who cannot work uh, because they're disabled. Uh, if we're talking people who really, uh, well, were unlucky and let's say were born in such a way that they cannot work, they cannot provide for themselves, even if sometimes we're talking children who are orphans and don't have families, I think that even as a, uh, well, as a person on the right wing of the spectrum, we could make a case that the United States is rich enough to make sure that these people have access to health care. So I think no argument here. But if we're talking about people who uh, are adults, are able to work, uh, but simply won't, for, 
for many for many reasons. Uh, let's say they don't find a job they like or they just don't feel like working. My rhetorical question is, well, how much health care should we provide for them? And once again, perhaps we could argue that basic health care or like basic services perhaps could be funded by the government. Uh, but where do we draw the line? Because in the end of the day, someone has to pay for it. Doctor's work is not free. Medicine is not free. Uh, procedures are not free. Uh, surgeries are not free, etc. The buildings are not free. So who pays for them? That is the major question mm-hmm. I think we have to pose. That is the really in- important question. So, okay, I think you're probably a free market guy. I'm a free market girl. And I really <laughs> think that, you know, up until... You know, at the early 1900s, Americans, charities, uh, you mentioned, for example, orphans or you know, people that might, might be disabled that, you know, can't work and, and need help. And instead of looking to government, we used to look to each other. We used to have these wonderful charities that uh, churches would, would help, you know, help take care of these folks. And I, I submit to you, Z, that I think that we could do that again. Well, and to a certain extent, that's is what's happening. Once again, if you look at how much people give to charity, uh, United people in the United States give, give way more to charity than people in Europe. And one of the reasons why, why that is, I think, is simply because uh, people are taxed less in the United States. So that is actually that is the reason. Basically, we have more income because the government takes less. So being a charitable person, uh, you, give it, you give some, some money back. Uh, what happens in Europe or in the, even in socialist countries, you have no money because government takes everything and you have nothing left to charity. So, I mean, charity via giving rather than charity via force uh, is much better. If, if it's forced on you, if you must pay or you go to jail, that's not charity, that's, that's oppression. Very well said. We have just a couple of minutes. <clears throat> but and continuing, there's, there's a hidden cost in all of these different things. For example, out here in Colorado, Uh, one of the conversations is affordable housing. And come to find out, I talked with Randall O'Toole from the Cato Institute, that rules and regulations contribute to 50% of the cost of new housing in Colorado. So you think about that. If you reduce rules and regulations just by half, you would reduce the cost of a home by 25%. I think that that's the same in healthcare. There's hidden cost. Uh, with rules and regulations, if we could free that up and reduce those, I think that we could bring costs down. What do you think? Yeah, most most likely. I think your example <clears throat> about housing is a is a pretty good one. I mean, many people don't have homes not because you, know, you don't have enough land in the United States. I mean, you have a lot of land compared compared to Europe, but it's precisely these, like you said, rules and regulations and. Uh, other loops uh, and uh, barriers that providers have to jump through. And that definitely, I think there is definitely a case for that, or an audit of rules and regulations in healthcare that could reduce the costs uh, uh, without going into socialized socialized healthcare insurance. But uh, I, I would love to see numbers on that. Yeah, I would too. And uh, I actually had a friend that read uh, the complete, she's a doc, and she read the complete Obamacare bill. And uh, she said that we could reduce the cost of health care in America per- by probably at least 40 percent if we lowered a bunch of these rules and regulations. And uh, so, again, when government gets involved in something, it gets more expensive and there is less of it. And so you make a very compelling case um, regarding this this whole narrative regarding socialized medicine. So, Z, well, what, thank what, you. Oh, what, go ahead. Sorry, what, what's interesting is today's CNN article, I mean, they argue that, well, 
that Obama appears nearly Republican in the current debate. I mean, that's uh, in, in fact, he said many things that Obama said would be treated as Republican right now, <laughs> just to illustrate how far left the debates have shifted. Yes, I know. And they had to go after um, um, Obama in a way because they were going after Biden, and it's Biden is the, the front runner. So it's very interesting to watch all this. Z, thank you so much. I'd love to have you back. Oh, easily. Just, just call me. <laughs> okay, we will do that. So that is Zylvanus Salinas with the Foundation for Economic Education. That website is fee.org. 